We are at that point in our sacred narrative where the Israelites have um, experienced all of the plagues, have experienced the uh, being shoved out of Egypt. And so we're picking up at the very end of that part where they've come out of Egypt and then Pharaoh has decided to pursue. Right? So that is the exciting moment that we pick up in the book of Shemot. We engage with these uh, words, this part of our story every year at Pesach and every day in our liturgy. So in the morning and in the evening, right, we have Mi'chamocha, which is part of our text. Um, so most of us are familiar with Mi'chamocha, who was like you, O God, which we're going to see where that comes and where that fits in our text. Um, the in, it's at the end of the Song of the Sea. The entire Song of the Sea traditionally is said every morning um, as part of the daily liturgy. So we are going to um, look at the text and we're going to look a little past the Song at the Sea um, and we're going to hear some, other, some modern poetry related to this and uh, a few thoughts on the theme of redemption. Um, as we think about it in our own time, what it's come to mean for us. Um, and I invite you ne- next, when you're in the synagogue, to look in the back of the prayer book um, at the readings around Exodus and Redemption, which are some really powerful poems and um, r- really nice, nice material that the, that the prayer book commission chose to put in Kol Shema. Then we are going to look at Song at the Sea in the Torah uh, and read it from Torah this morning um, with the melody that I grew up um, using every single day in our davening uh, in Jewish day school. All right, so uh, let us look at 1426. Somebody begin, please, in the English. Then Adonai said to Moses, hold out your arm over the sea that the waters may come back upon the Egyptians and upon their chariots and upon the riders. Moses held out his arm over the sea, and at daybreak the sea returned to its normal state, and the Egyptians fled as it approached, at its approach. But Adonai hurled the Egyptians into the sea. The waters turned back and covered the chariots and the riders. Pharaoh's entire army that followed them into the sea, not one of them remained. But the Israelites had marched through the sea on dry ground, the water forming a wall for them on their right and on their left. Okay. So we have two versions of how the Egyptians are destroyed with the water that is the redemptive right agent for... Um, for the Israelites, right? That the the water parts for them. That's how they get out. That's how they survive. The water, of course, becomes the agent of destruction for the Egyptians. The very waters, right, that the Egyptians had hoped, you know, to drown baby boys in to destroy the Jewish people. So it is this, you know, um, poetic justice, if you will, um, that it is water that, that takes out the Pharaoh and his army. Um, one is that there's kind of this tsunami that smashes them on the shore. Um, in this one, we get they are kind of like hur- they're trying to get out and they're hurled back in to the water. Um, that 
that when Moshe um, holds his arm out, uh, right, is going to, the water's going to go, right, that had been standing, you know, the water that was standing comes back on Pharaoh and his army that were pushed back into it by God. And they, that water covers the chariots and the riders um, who had been in pursuit. But the Israelites marched. The rabbis spend a lot of time on this phrase. A lot of commentary is written on this phrase. Some beautiful mystical teaching about this phrase, which is Yabasha Betoch Hayam. The Israelites walked on dry ground in the midst of the sea. So the rabbis say, wait a minute. Either it's Betochayam, either it's in the sea, or it's Yabasha. It's dry land. It can't be both. So wonderful new mystical traditions have arisen around wave particle. Right? Like, is it, is it a wave or is it a particle? And it turns out it depends, you know, how you're looking at it, how you're measuring it, whether light shows up as a wave or a particle, that it's both. It's both and, you know, that when we're in the symphony, we're individual listeners, you know, and then there's those moments where we are just audience, right? You're just, you, there's both the particular and the, you know, universal. And the rabbis really, even early, early, early commentaries get at this, this idea that it was both yabasha and yam at the same time. It was dry ground and it was ocean at the same time. And that that's the miracle. And that that in fact is the miracle all the time. The both and of life. Destruction and you know, redemption, birth, death, right? That, that it is what it seems to be opposites are in fact, when we take them together, the reality of life, capital R. So some lovely teachings, if you'd like to go look up this phrase, really, really lovely teachings. So, um, so the rabbis also tell us that the wall on the right and the left, Reuven and Shimon are walking through the, the wall on the right and the left. They're part of this redemption. They're walking through and Shimon says, Ich, the mud. And Reuven says, can you believe? At least Egypt was dry. We're slogging through this stuff. And they, they do this all the way across. And the rabbis say, Reuven and Shimon missed the entire miracle of the crossing of the sea because they were so busy looking at the muck and the mud and complaining, right, that they completely missed the experience. That this is, there are, there are miracles happening all the time. The question is, are we Reuven and Shimon? Or are we looking up at the incredible wonder of the walls of water standing uh, to defy all of what we would think possible as we move through to safety? So much written about this moment. So much of our tradition based you know, in this moment. So much philosophy about how to live, about how not to live, about the realities of life. Amazing, amazing material. So, verse 30. Somebody want to read there? Because I can spend all day on these two lines. So let's move me from there. Thus Adonai delivered Israel that day from the Egyptians. Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the shore of the sea. And when Israel saw the wondrous power which Adonai had wielded against the Egyptians, 
The people feared Adonai, and they had faith in Adonai and in God's servant Moses. All right, so delivered miyad mitzrayim from the hand of Egypt. And how does that happen? With God's yad chazakah, God's strong hand, right? Zro'anituyah, an outstretched arm, right? This is the imagery of the Passover Seder, that God reached into reality and pulled us from the yad of mitzrayim. Right? So here's God's hand, here's Mitzrayim's hand, and we get yanked, right, out of one by the other. And then the people, for that moment, anyway, um, had the appropriate sense of awe, or the experience of awe, and completely trusted uh, and had faith in, it's, it's, it's a hard word in, in Hebrew to tr- truly get across, Ya'aminu, they, they had faith in, they believed in, they trusted in um, God uvu Moshe Avdo and in Moshe, God's servant. It's related to emuna and amen. Right? So, which is, you know, this thing of, you know, to let to, amin, to, to trust and to have faith. So when somebody says a blessing, you say, Amen. Like I, I, me too. Which is why it's Department of Redundancy Department to say a blessing and answer Amen yourself. So I keep trying in touch about to move us off of at the end of Motzi. Amen. Right, we just said the bracha. Right. I tried to move us to Bete Avon. Right. That everyone should have a good appetite. Doesn't work. Jews are stuck on what Jews are stuck on. Huh? We're really crazy making. We're very crazy making as a people. We are indeed. All right, so that brings us to the famous Shirat Hayam, the song at the sea. So the the song at the sea, uh, it, it has a huge um, historical resonance for us. Um, an old text, a military triumphal text. Um, it is. It was in the ancient world that women would come celebrating their victorious men coming home from battle. Therefore, the last words of the song say that Miriam and the women look at page 392 in the green or verse 20. 412. 412 in the red. Then Miriam, the prophet Aaron's sister, picked up a hand drum, and all the women went out after her and danced with hand drums, and Miriam chanted for them, Shiru Ladonai, sing to God, Kiga Oga, right? For God has triumphed gloriously. And what do we have next? A line from Song at the Sea. Susvarochovo Ramavayam. Horse and driver, you know, horse and rider, he has thrown into the sea. So some people look at that and say, so it was in fact Miriam and the women who sang this song, um, you know, to, the, to God who was victorious in battle. What we get is the introduction to the song is Azia Shir Moshe. So Moshe Uvene Yisrael and the people Israel sang. That, that's how we're introduced to the song. Um, so either Miriam and the women repeated it, 
or they did something else. It seems a little weird that they would do something else when one of the lines from this song is what she's supposedly saying with the women. We don't know. It's all a bit of a jumbo. We are told here that Moshe and the people sang this song. So what does that mean? Did they sing it together? Is it a tradition? Well, this is the first time we've had God hurling the Egyptians into the sea, so one would imagine it wasn't the people's tradition to sing this. So did Moshe like sing a line and the people repeated it? Did Moshe sing part of a line? Because you know, we have that biblical couplet, that thing where you say something and then you say it again a different way. Did Moshe say it one way and the people took his cue and finished the line? You know, saying the same thing a different way? Did they sing it antiphonally? We have absolutely no idea, obviously. Um, clearly, it is a triumphal, what do you say, paean, you know, to, to God, the warrior, who, is, who has victoriously defeated the greatest power known in the world at that time, Pharaoh. It's at the beginning of the poem, it refers to uh, the Song of Moses. Um, what do you mean? Where are you looking? Uh, back on page 386. Okay, show me. Yashir Moshe. Az Yashir Moshe. And so Moses sang. Okay. It, it would be Shirat Moshe okay. if it was the song of Moses. Okay. Right? Um, so, Az Yashir Moshe Uvene Yisrael. And so sang Moses and the people of Israel. Et Hashira Hazot. This song to Yudhe Vavhe, Vayomru, and they said Lemor, saying, Now starts the Shir. Interestingly, in the singular, Ashira, I will sing. Right? And here's the, the, the line we get from Miriam, Kiga Oga'a, I will sing to God, Kiga Oga'a, because God has triumphed victoriously. Susurokavo, Ramavayam, the horse and rider have been hurled into the sea. This, this is what Miriam just sang. Or told the to women to sing. Miriam as the prophet? Is that a Prophetess, Nivi'ah. Nivi'ah. She's given the same status in terms of her title as Moshe, interestingly enough. Right? He is a Navi, he is a prophet, she is Nivi'ah. And it's, it says so in the Torah. That is not a later gloss, that is not a later tradition. In Torah, it calls her Nivi'ah. So we know from biblical times. Prophetess was a status, you know, that was, you know, legitimate. All right. The next line <clears throat> has always confused slash fascinated me. Okay. Because if you assume that this was the Israelites <laughs> singing, mm -hmm. and it's uh, the Lord Azit, mine, it's in the singular again. As is Ashira. As is Ashira. Mm-hmm. So you have a combination. What did the rabbi say about, was this each person speaking individually as well as the group? Yes, each person is singing. Remember the Seder? I am to consider myself, Ke'ilu, as, as if I had gone out from Egypt. Every single person owns having been there at that moment. So the line says in Hebrew, Aziv Zimrat Yah. Mm -hmm. Zimrat Zimra, song. Song. Translated, the Lord is my strength and my mind. Ah. Right. Interesting. And if it is a song, mm -hmm. what does it mean, the Lord is my song? 
It's a beautiful question. That I sing. It's poetic. Right? No, I, no, no, I know it's poetic. Bert, where are we? My life becomes then a Verse song. Verse 2. Then it's saying, basically, my, my existence is a song to God. Could be. Right? God is my strength and my song, unless you want to call it might, which our trans, which the green translation does anyway. Um, yeah, so does um, and has become my Yeshua, my, my savior. This is the other thing, is that we as Jews, given that we live in such a Christian context, have completely abandoned our relationship to the word Yeshua, Savior. That's what it means? Yes. Yeah. So for me, it's, it's a sad thing that we've had to kind of move away from that language. Um, also, the language grace, chen, God's grace. We've moved away from those terms that are so associated with Christianity but we have a very, very strong poetic tradition of calling out for God to be our Yeshua, right? Like, save me, Hoshieni Adonai, Venivashea, and I will be saved, right? There are times we feel that, that that's the right call, the right language. Save me. Hoshanot, Hoshana. Hoshana, save me, right? There, there are times where it's not, I don't know, like what's some of the other language? Assist me, you know, give me strength. It isn't that. It's the diagnosis, is it's malignant. Hoshiana, save me. It can feel like it is completely hopeless and overwhelming and this language is the language of, of poetry, of 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 deep liturgy, calling, crying out and yearning for deliverance from something that seems impossible to escape. That, that's this moment. That's the paradigmatic moment here, right? I'm leaving Duluth and taking a job at KI. Hoshiana! Right? <laughs> so at times it feels like, oh my gosh, like I can't do this. So... Um, but seriously, it's, it's, that, it's that call of that psalmist that's at that point of being that all of us have been at where it feels completely overwhelming and that there's absolutely nothing other than something yud hey vav hey related that's going to pull us out of this. Um, so I just want to draw our attention to that English word and when you see deliverance, think delivery, saving, saving power of our Savior Okay. And, and grace as well. And grace. Yeah. That so much is about chen. It's unearned. The love that God pours into this universe. The shefa, the abounding, abundant overflow of love is unearned. It is grace. You know the Yiddish song, Bamir Bistushin? Mm-hmm. The next line is Bamir Hostuchin. Bamir Bistushin, Bamir Hostuchin, Right? So it's... Grace. Grace. Graceful. Filled with grace. All right. And we just, I want to reclaim some of that language, but I don't want people to get scared and like, think, wow, she's really reconstructionist. All right. So let's read the English and then we're going to read the Hebrew over there. So somebody. Can I I ask a question Mm -hmm. about the next line? 
Sherbet. Which is the next line? Are you We're on verse two. Is where Bert's on verse two. None of us have read anything. Oh, verse two. What? Not what? Bert, Adonai is my strength and might. Chapter fifteen, verse two. Okay. Do you see it? Yes, I see. Okay, it. that's where Bert was. Now okay. he's going apparently to the next line. Mm-hmm. Which Zaley the Mm-hmm. Which is translated here. This is my God. I will enshrine him. Mm-hmm. How would you translate that? Because I've heard it translated also in the sense that I will make myself into yeah. a receptacle. That my being will be a sanctuary for God. Anava is is like you exalt something. So the anveyu and I, it's about God. I will do this to God. I will exalt God. So whatever, wherever you're getting these interpretations, they are interpretations that are, so what do we do with this for us to, you know what I mean? Like, so I'd love to know the source of all these, right? I will become a, okay, got it. So, so that's how do we make the, what do we do with this, right? Because also the Orthodox are kind of uncomfortable with Ishmael Chama, God is a man of war, right? That, you know, it's more like, so what, for them it's like, why is this in our liturgy? What is it supposed to do in me? And so that's why you get a lot of these. But this is, Anve who is about God. I will exalt God. All right. So, okay, so let's, let's go back and start at the very beginning of chapter 15. And somebody read for us Shiratayam, the song at the sea, in its entirety. <laughs> Please. <clears throat> then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. They said, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. Horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and might. He has become my deliverance. This is my God, and I will enshrine him, the God of my Father, and I will exalt him. The Lord, the warrior, Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariot, chariots and his army he has cast into the sea, and the pick of his officers are drowned in the sea of reeds. The deeps covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power, your right hand, O Lord, shatters the foe. In your great triumph, you break your opponents. You send forth your fury. It consumes them like straw. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters pile up. The flood stood straight like a wall. The deeps froze in the heart of the sea. The foe said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will bear my sword, my hand shall subdue them. You made your wind blow. The sea covered them. They sank like lead in the majestic waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the celestials? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in splendor, working wonders? You put out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. In your love you lead the people you redeem. In your strength you guide them to your holy abode. The peoples hear, they tremble. Agony grips the dwellers in Philistia. Now are the clans of Edom dismayed. The tribes of Moab trembling grips them. All the dwellers in Canaan are aghast. Terror and dread descend upon them. Through the might of your arm, they are still as stone. Till your people cross over, O Lord, till your people cross whom you have ransomed. You will bring them and plant them in your own mountain, the place you made to dwell in, O Lord, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. Oh, have to love that. So, 
Mm-hmm. It just struck me reading this here, but actually when it comes to later uh, approaching the land of these tribes, they don't behave that way. Mm, right. And this right. also says it happened in the past when it happened hasn't happened yet. Exactly. Exactly. I sort of understand what it says now is going to happen and what actually happened. Right? So this is a remembrance, right? So it's written, obviously, after the mythic event. And it's it's remembering what our people would have have said and would have liked to have had happen. And even a mythic reworking of you know the taking of Kna'an you know that so it's it's uh yeah. it's mythic definitely does in you, all senses does your own mountain refer to the mountain Jerusalem uh it's an interesting question planter in your own mountain the place you made to dwell in our world it's interesting because be mostly right. when we hear Har we think Sinai so, but it it, but it must mean Jerusalem. Yeah, right. It would mean it would mean it must the be Jerusalem. Yep. Um, so this is really like it. But but you know it's like I, I think it's meant to resonate both, right? It is Har is always Sinai, mm-hmm. raping. Right? That's always our Har, our always our mountain, um, and it is from Sinai that the relationship comes. That we become God's people that builds God's sanctuary. You know, right? so it's it resonates anytime we hear. The, the note here actually in the Hertz says the phrase refers either to the entire land of Israel or to the temple on Mount Zion. Mm-hmm. Which is another yet another take. <laughs> well, no, that that's what we were saying about, about Jerusalem, about <coughs> right, the right, temple being on right. on the mountain. Alright. So this clearly is very old. We know that the priests in the temple would sing the song at the sea. Right? This is the paradigmatic moment for us around which every single call to loyalty is anchored. You may not have experienced God in your own life. You may not have such a close relationship with Yodhei Bavhei, but you wouldn't be here. God delivered your ancestors from Pharaoh at the sea and from slavery and took them to Sinai where we entered. And therefore, you will keep all these commandments. Right? So this is the moment, the mythic anchor for each of us in the relationship to yod heh It is, we are forever indebted to yod heh for this act of deliverance. So the priests, it makes it an appropriate thing for the priests to say at the daily afternoon offering. Right? The mincha, the gift offering to God. Because, right, bring your gifts, Israel. Because this, this is the God we're talking about. This, this, remember what God did for us. Bring your gifts out in gratitude for all, all that we have in our land Free, right? Unfettered because of this moment. Um, it became the, like I said, part of the morning liturgy, and Bert's art scroll, Sidor, is filled with ways to interpret this 
as therefore what we should do with our lives. That our life should become a vessel, a throne for God. That is what it means to enshrine God is that we become the throne on which God sits. Our lives become, you know, a mishkan for, in which God will dwell, right? Because of this moment. So at one time it was associated with the sacrifice, the gift offering in the land of Israel, and now uh, forever since, um, it continues to anchor the morning liturgy for the folks that are not too disturbed by this image of God as a man of war. It was not going to fly in Reconstructionist practice to address God as Ishmil Chama in liturgy. Um, so it is not in Kohanishama. It is not in the Reconstructionist prayer book as part of the morning liturgy. So we're going to take a moment to come over to the Torah. So generally in a Torah scroll, the, you see these breaks and these columns and you see how the Torah is laid out. In every single Torah scroll in the world, these columns have the identical words in them. In every Torah scroll in the world. Otherwise, we couldn't navigate through the Torah because there's no chapter or verse or page number. Every Torah scroll in the world begins in this column with the word vehaya and ends with the word Ramah. Everyone in the world, and we have a tikkun, we have a book in which this is printed, like this, like it is in the Torah, and on the other side is the vocalized Hebrew with chapter and verse. Yes? So, it's, and vowels, so vocalized means vowels, so we, we call that the key, right, that's the key to the map, or the, right, it's the map, essentially, to the, to the Torah. So in every Torah scroll in the world, these columns are exactly like this. Exactly. In every Torah scroll in the world, we have this wonderful laying out of the song at the sea. So what do you notice right away that's different? It's spaced out. It's spaced out. Right. So it's spaced very differently than it is anywhere else. It is a visual scribal tradition. It is a visual commentary on the text. Any guesses for those only people who don't know? Guess. As to why? As to why. Why does it look like that? What's the visual what's the visual it's image? Like a poem. It's, a po- yeah. it's a poem. So certainly like it's a boat? <laughs> interesting. A boat. I like that. A wall of water. I like that too. So notice pay attention to the white space. You pay more attention because of the space. Like a Torah scroll, I like that too. It's you what? You pay more attention. You pay more attention because, because of the way of it's the mapped space. out. Absolutely. It's if parted. it it's parted, interesting. But but there's something in the middle, right? So if you look at each space, each white space is rectangular, with part of this line being on a whole line. Part of this line being on a whole line. This is the brick layers art. So this is a half a brick sits on a whole brick. And a half of another brick sits on that one. And a half of a brick sits on that one. And here, right, So that is the layout. These are the bricks that the Israelites used to build when they were slaves. Wait, well, if you want a strong wall. You, if you want a strong wall, right? You don't. Fall down. <laughs> exactly. Careful, Egypt, you think, right? So um, that is the visual commentary since medieval times. This has been how the song is written in 
uh, Torah scrolls. So the bricks get converted into the Song of Liberation. Correct. So that is the visual, oh, right? The, the, the song is about our liberation, and the visual commentary is from the bricks we used to make. But uh, remind me, uh, the Ten Commandments is also uh, very obvious when mm-hmm. you see it. Correct. It, are there any others? Just, just this and that one? There are several. The Shema has its own lovely... Layout. layout with the ayin and the dalid being enlarged to spell the word aid, witness. Um, so we have, we, and actually at Simchas Torah, we unroll the scroll so we can walk around and look at all of the scribal anomalies. Um, mm-hmm. All right, so here we go with Song at the Sea. As Yeshir Moshe Uvene Yisrael et Ashir Azot Adonai Vayam Rulemor Ashir Al Adonai Kinga Oga Asus Verochavo Ramavayam Azi Vezimratia Vaili Lishua Zelivian Veu Elohe Aviva Romamenu Adonai Shmilchama Adonai Shemo Markevot Farovachelo Yaravayam Umivhar Shalishav Tuv Uviam Suf Teamot Yahasimu Yardu Vim Slot Kmoa Ven Yemina Ha Adonai Nidari Bakoach Yemina Ha Adonai Tir Atso Yev Uverov Gionha Taros Kamehatishala Harunha Yochlemo Kakash Uveru Achapecha <laughs> so, Shiratayam. What what strikes me about this melody Whoops. is like it could last forever because it it loops it, around. Yes, and it keeps going toward the next yeah. the next line. The future. <clears throat> 
So I am told by my iPad we have 10 more minutes. Is this true? Yeah. So take one of these, if you would. On the back, I have uh, a selection from the book Jewish Renewal by Rabbi Michael Lerner. And it's one of my favorite passages about what this idea of redemption means for us. And it's the paragraph that begins, but the lesson of our history. But the lesson of our history is that there's no easy way out. No way for one people to make a separate peace with a world of oppressors or assimilate successfully and without moral compromise into that world. Our own liberation and our own mental health require the liberation of all people and the end of all oppression. And perhaps it is this recognition that makes Passover such a universal holiday and the Seder such a wonderful time to invite non-Jews and non-practicing Jews to your home to experience the aliveness of Judaism's liberatory message. For me, and you can read more of what he has to say, for me, this for me is the most important piece of this idea of having been redeemed from slavery. For me, as a Reconstructionist Jew, it's that... We can't say, yay, we've been liberated and have that be fully our experience in a world where there continues to be people who are oppressed. Our Judaism calls us to work for a world in which nobody is still in Egypt. That, for me, is the point of connecting to this story. It is the point of living a Judaism that informs our American identity is that we work hard and take risks and whatever else we have to do to create a world where people are not at the margins or silenced or vulnerable to those same forces from which we were redeemed. And Michael Lerner is very, very adamant about this and writes beautifully about it in many different places. He has a website, tikkun.org. T-I-K-K-U-N and his magazine, Tikkun, is just you know, all filled with, whether you agree or don't with this politics, is filled with a really fiery call to work for a world of justice and equity and uh, not to rest on our redeem- redeemed laurels. I'm going to read you um, a favorite, another favorite passage of mine. Um, as you can imagine, we engage with this, tech, you know, this theme a lot. And this is from Larry Kushner's book, the Book of Words, if you haven't seen it, it's a fabulous book. Um, and he takes terminology from our tradition, and each little chapter, each chapter is maybe two pages long. He'll take a term, in our case, geulah, which is usually translated as redemption, literally. And so he takes the word, and then he gives it his own translation. And his translation is already his commentary on the word. Geulah, redemption. How does he translate it? Because most of us go, redemption? Okay, if I asked any of you, what, what does that actually mean? My guess is you'd scratch your head for a minute and go, I'm not really sure. Something about slavery and freedom and I don't know. Right? So he does a beautiful job of talking about what it means. He translates the word as exchange. Redemption? Redemption as exchange. Here, when you redeem a coupon, yeah. all right, here we go. 
I love this. Please don't mention his name again. Lawrence Kushner. Rabbi Lawrence Kushner. When I was a little boy growing up in Detroit, my mother always shopped at the Big Bear Market because they gave S&H green stamps. These were the grocery store precursors of frequent travel air miles. The stamps came in small perforated and gummed sheets and were awarded in proportion to each dollar spent. It was my job to lick the stamps and paste them into little newsprint booklets about the size of a TV guide. We kept the booklets fat with stamps in a shoebox on the floor of the front hall closet. And when the box was full, we would take its contents to the local SNH Green Stamp Redemption Center, where we would exchange this basically worthless stash of stickum for something of more enduring value, like a carpet sweeper or an electric toaster. That is how I came to learn about redemption. The process of cashing in your chips or exchanging something of seemingly little value for its true worth. Stamps for toasters or slaves for free men and free women. It's all the same. But you can't have one until you relinquish the other. The act of redemption, in other words, is the process of exchanging something for what it is really worth. When, slave, when a slave becomes a free person, the slave is redeemed. The story of the crossing of the Red Sea is the paradigm redemption. Slaves passed through the waters into freedom on the other side. The story says literally that they stepped into the midst of the sea on dry ground. But how could this be? Either it was the sea, in which case it could not have been dry ground, or it was dry ground, in which case it could not have been the sea. Implicit here is the willingness to risk everything for new life. If you jump into the void, you could cease to exist. Or you might emerge on the other side, a new person. Precisely this gamble is at the heart of every redemption. It's a fantastic, every, every piece is just like that, fantastic. It, the Book of Words by Rabbi Lawrence Kushner. A beautiful, beautiful book. In the uh, song that you just articulated beautifully, it says that God redeemed children of Israel. Does that mean that he exchanged them for what? Free people. Yeah, That the coupon, right, is really worth a quarter. The, the, the coupon is worth nothing. It's when you redeem it that you get a quarter instead of the paper. But you have to relinquish the paper, right? You have to give that up. We have to give up our slavery, our attachment to it, its familiarity, its comfort. We have to give it up in order to be redeemed. You have to do something. You have to do something. And here, that you know, that for us is the beauty. Is it was what we had to do was take that lamb and tie it in the backyard, kill it, and advertise that we're in before there's any reason to hope that we're out. Right? That we we have to. That's putting those stamps in the book. Let's look at um, another poet's take on this. Um, Marge Piercy. Some of you may know the work of the poet and fiction writer Marge Piercy. Um, it's on the other side of your Michael Lerner called Magid. Right? This is the telling of the story. 
that we do at Pesach. Sarah Moskowitz, would you read for us? The courage to let go of the door, the handle. The courage to shed the familiar walls whose very stains and leaks are comfortable as the little molds of the upper arm. Stains that recall a feast, a child's naughtiness, a loud battering storm that slapped the roof hard, pouring through. The courage to abandon the graves dug into the hill, the small bones of children and the brittle bones of the old whose marrow hunger had stolen. The courage to desert the tree planted and only begun to bear. The riverside where promises were shaped, the street where their empty pots were broken. The courage to leave the place whose language you learned as early as your own, whose customs, however dangerous or demeaning, bind you like a halter. You have learned to pull inside to move your load. The land fertile with the blood spilled on it, the roads mapped and annotated for survival. The courage to walk out of the pain that is known into the pain that cannot be imagined, mapless, walking into the wilderness, going barefoot with a canteen into the desert, stuffed in the stinking hold of a rotting ship, sailing off the map into dragon's mouths. Cathay, India, Siberia, Golden Medina, leaving bodies by the way like abandoned treasure. So they walked out of Egypt, so they bribed their way out of Russia under loads of straw, so they steamed out of the bloody smoking charnel house of Europe on overloaded freighters forbidden all ports out of the pain into death or freedom or a different painful dignity into squalor and politics. We Jews are all born of wanderers with shoes under our pillows and a memory of blood that is ours raining down. We honor only those Jews who change tonight, those who chose the desert over bondage who walked into the strange and became strangers and gave birth to children who could look down on them standing on their shoulders for having been slaves. We honor those who let go of everything but freedom, who ran, who revolted, who fought, who became other by saving themselves. This is the definition of who we are as a people, like that she so beautifully locates in this moment that has happened over and over and over again. It's from her collection of poetry entitled The Art of Blessing the Day, which is Jewish poetry by Marge Piercy. Um, much. So it's... Uh, I have to get it. It, it is... Yiddish poetry. Well, Marge Piercy is not known as a Jewish poet, right? She's a poet and a I fiction writer. Um, it's English. It's English. Okay. But uh, it's a collection of her, you know, kind of Jewish-themed poetry um, and, and other, other poetry as well, but all of her Jewish poetry um, is collected here. And it's she brings this down to me, to all of us, when she says Cathay, India, Siberia, 
gold in a Medina when I saw that. I Joke. Yeah. It's the story of liberation that we were raised on, right? It's, it's the golden in Medina. It's kind of our generation's story. What is it going to mean to the next generation now? Well, we have to tell the next generation. You know, Hence the name of the poem, Magid. The telling. We have to tell, she's saying at the Passover Seder, not only the story at the sea. We have to tell our story, our grandparents' story, so that they hear the many layers of right, redemption, liberation, and all the complicated things that that means. It doesn't mean, yay, we're free, let's have a party. Right? It, it means... You're free to go not speak the language and live in a slum on the Lower East Side, you know, and sell pickles. Like it, and, and I think that's, uh, that's exactly her point. How do we communicate that to a generation who knows nothing? And she says, who stands on the shoulders looking down at those they're standing on for having been slaves, for not knowing the way of America, not knowing the language, not achieving, not having a you know, diploma. And, the story of the Jews uh, going to Palestine is all told in these two lines. Stuffed to the stinking hold of a rotting ship sailing off the map of the dragon's mouth. Whether that ship was heading for Ellis Island or Australia or, or Palestine, it was the, or, or turned around turned and sent around back, it was the, you didn't know if it was the dragon's mouth or the Statue of Liberty that you were going to see. Well, but it's still going on. People coming out of Africa and trying to get to Israel through Gashmi. Which, again, is so important for me that we continue to locate our story in their pain. I'm going to tell the story of the ref clock, the electric clock that hangs over my refrigerator in the kitchen because when we moved into that house 45 years ago, my mother redeemed her blue chip stamps for that electric clock. There you go. And the reason I, that I'm here is that when she came to, to Boston, she wasn't turned back like her sister was at Ellis Island Ugh. because she had a cough and red eyes and no money for medicine and died in Bobby Yar. So that clock needs to be at your Seder table. Yes. <laughs>